Welcome to Tales from the First Tee. I'm your host, Rich Easton, recording from beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. Welcome to the podcast. If you're a new listener, I welcome you. If you're a returning listener, thanks for coming back. Tales has been downloaded in over 300 cities in 23 countries worldwide. So I thank everybody for tuning in and listening to Golf Talk. As I get the opportunity to play golf with different people, I find that there are certain common themes on what pisses golfers off about what other people do on the golf course. So I thought I'd go through my list of things that most people just have a difficult time dealing with. But before I get on a rant about shit people do to just put you on tilt on the golf course, I thought I'd talk a little bit about the 2021 Masters. If you don't think Augusta National brings golfers to their knees in frustration and personal disappointment, all you had to see is Siwoo Kim slam his putter into the ground and crack the shaft on the 15th hole during day two of the tournament. Then he chose to putt with a three-wood for the remaining three holes and was still four under coming into Saturday. Now, for those of you new to golf, if you break damage or throw a club in the pond, once you've teed off on the first hole, you can't replace it during that round. So for all of us frustrated golfers, the feeling of cracking a club over our knees or throwing it into a pond gives us maybe three seconds of self-punishment, followed by hours of, what the heck did I just do? The interesting thing to me about Si Wu wasn't that he busted his putter in anger. Hell, this sport will conjure up feelings that are deeply seated from your childhood, or at least the last round when you had to make a three-foot putt to win $5, and you lipped it out or just left it short. What was interesting to me is how accurate he was putting with his three-wood. I, mean, I suspect he's broken his putter in the past and had to learn how to use other clubs to putt. When Paul Azinger, one of the PGA announcers in the booth, was asked about Siwoo's dilemma, I was thinking he was going to talk about, oh, you know, this is the frustration of the sport, or he shouldn't have done that, or it's immature, he lost his cool. No, what Paul said is, yeah, I wonder why he used a three-wood. He said, I think I'd use a wedge and hit it in the center of the ball because I think it's a better move. And that just goes to show that tour players are under intense pressure to perform. Club breaking and throwing is a natural part of the game. Kind of like fighting in hockey. I mean, you got to let out steam. And if you watch the Masters over the weekend, you could see how the players get on these hot streaks or after two consecutive mishits, they fall off the leaderboard like Honduran fish rain. Hideki Matsuyama got on a streak after the weather delay on Saturday going on this birdie eagle, birdie, birdie, birdie barrage. Comes out on Sunday, starts soft, and then gets it going again and starts building a lead. I mean, this guy could play. 
And don't be surprised if he lights, lights the torches at the Summer Olympics in Tokyo. His life is now cast in stone in Japan. I don't think he'll ever have to pay for another meal while he's in his home country. And how about this Zalatoris kid? The media likes to over-exaggerate the moment and challenge golfers into a gotcha kind of soundbite. But Zalatoris was well-coached. He just said, hey, if I'm crazy enough to dream I could play in the Masters, I'm crazy enough to believe I could win it. So I think we're going to see a lot from this kid in the future. Anyway, another great Masters weekend. I think the number one thing that bothers most golfers about other golfers is slow play. People like to play at a certain pace. And in golf, you like to get momentum. You like to hit a shot. You like to go to the next shot. You like to think about what you got to do and then execute it. And then when you're on the green, you want to get up, you want to look at the green, and then you want to putt. And when you get to get in a rhythm like that, it tends to help you play better. When you have to slow it down, it takes you out of your natural rhythm. Imagine going to a driving range with a bucket of balls and hitting them over a five to six hour period of time. You'd go nuts. Typically, you're going to go through that bucket in 30 minutes, 40 minutes, just hitting shots. Now, imagine having to slow it down. Your shots are probably not going to be as good. So having to slow down your game because of somebody else unnerves golfers. And so what creates slow play? Well, first, we start off with certain golfers when they're doing their pre-shot routine go way over the top. They're going to waggle. They're going to move their club. They're going to move their body a few times. And then there are those that do the five to 10 practice swings. And you're watching them and you're just thinking, okay, this is the last one. Okay, this is the last one. Okay, this is the last one. And they keep doing it and you start shaking your head. And if you're with somebody else, you got to look at each other and say, what the f you know, what is this? But some people to get their confidence up, um, you know, they have to go through this. And the worst is when they do the 10 practice swings and everything, and then they top the ball. <laughs> you say to yourself, I could have done that without any. And with the onset of technology, golfers can start to use range finders to see exactly how far they are from the pin. I mean, it's just not good enough to know how far you are from the middle of the green, because in a lot of golf courses, it's marked off from 250 yards in every 50 yards, so 250, 200, you know, so on and so forth. And so that's not good enough because people want to be accurate in whatever their approach shot is. And, you know, the fact is most golfers are not that accurate in swinging the club and hitting the ball, but they want to know. So now they're taking out their range finder. They, they look at it. They go back to their cart. They pull out their range finder. They look at it. They hit a number. Now they have to figure out, oh shit, is it a stock club? Is it like right on this club? If not, do I choke down on a club? Do I use a lesser club, hit it harder? And 
typically people that are indecisive are going to be the people that go through this whole process. And then if it's a little windy, they're going to now bend down, pick up some grass, throw it up in the air, now rethink the whole process all over again. It could be unnerving. The other uh, thing that slows play down is some people are chatty. And I think it's great to talk when you get on the tee box, when you're sitting in your carts, when you have to wait because of others in front of you. And I'll talk about that in a second. That's the time to talk if people want to talk. But starting to tell a story on a tee box or in the middle of a fairway or when you get to the green, just because you want to express an opinion or tell a joke. No, you got to stop that. And then there are those that just can't decide on what club they want to use. So they go into their bag, they pull out a club, they're looking at it. They don't, they go back to their bag, they get another club, they go back to the bag. I mean, once somebody has gone through like three clubs, it's like, oh, could just hit the ball. And then there are players that get to the green and now it's like they're at the U.S. Open. They're going to walk around that green. They're going to look at angles. They're going to bend down. They're going to plumb bob. They're going to do everything that possibly could help them make a decision about which way the green is uh, tilted. You know, what's the cant of the green? What's the undulation? You know, where's the grain of the grass growing? And all these calculations, like Bryson DeChambeau, right? And then they, they hit their butt and it's like way offline. And then there are people that sit in the cart on their phones. And it's almost like they're either taking their work with them or they are so into social media that they can't keep their hands off their phone and they're getting all these bing, bing, bing as they're playing. You could hear people responding or people that are in a group text and you get 20 people and, you know, you get a bing and you look and it's like, yeah, I agree with you. You know, bing, no, no way. It's like all this shit. It's like, turn your phone off or put it on vibrate, or whatever you have to do, just be aware there are people around you that are also doing the same. They're trying to play, and they're trying to play at their pace. And then I think the worst of the slow play isn't the people in your group, because you could pretty much moderate that over time, or say something funny, or make a comment, and have the behavior in your foursome change. And then every once in a while, you're hoping the ranger comes by and then tells you guys you're slow playing. You don't want to say it. You don't want to hurt the guy's feelings or make him pissed off at you. So you let the ranger do it. And then, okay, here we go. We're going to play, you know, ready golf, which means you get your ball. If somebody's not in front of you, you hit. The worst is slow play in the foursome in front of you or somewhere in front of you because you can't control it. Then you're standing there watching someone else in the fairway that you probably don't even know go through the 10 waggles, go through the, you know, the the 10 practice swings, and that unnerves you. It's funny how critical we are of people in front of us. Like, why would they do that? You know, I'm trying to play quicker. Why would they play so slow? And so watching people in front of you and like, so when golfers get frustrated, what a lot of them do, particularly younger golfers, is just tee off their ball and hit into them to send them a message. That's the worst thing to do. I mean, it really is. Because then you can go up and apologize, like, I've never hit this club like this. But if they keep playing slow, someone else in your foursome is going to hit into them. And then it doesn't turn into anything good. Trust me. So slow play, probably the number one thing that pisses off golfers about other golfers. And at some country clubs, 
players that don't want to get into confrontation with people in front of them just call the pro shop and have the pro shop go get the ranger and have the ranger drive out there and settle the problem. And trust me, I have been called out many times to try and negotiate with people on trying to quicken their play. And the toughest is when people are hitting balls into the woods and their game just isn't there that day, which is a tough blow on their ego. And those people that are trying to find their balls in the woods sometimes will take a disordinate amount of time to try and find other balls. They're like, hey, screw it. If I lost a ball, if I come out here net one or two, then okay, I might have lost a ball. But hey, look, I have two or three others. Meanwhile, you got a foursome in the fairway behind you or on the tee box just sitting there glaring at you or even worse, doing that thing where they got their hand on their hip and their other hand on their club and they're kind of tilted and just staring at you like they think that is going to make it change. The second most discussed annoyances on the golf course is cheating or misscoring. I mean, have you ever played with someone that loses track of how many shots they took on a hole and then miraculously call out a number that's one to three strokes better than what they scored? But that same person might have an incredible memory for every shot that everybody else took on the hole. I think the root of the problem with misscoring or cheating is either about money, ego, or somebody really has shitty short-term memory. When you tell your playing partners you scored a 7 on a par 3, it makes you feel like a dweeb, a worthless piece of crap, a child amongst men. Yeah, so calling out a 4 or a 5 on that hole makes you feel less of a loser. But here's the thing. When you're playing for money, or any stakes for that matter, Typically, your playing partners know exactly how many shots you took. And if push comes to shove, someone in your group is going to play back every shot you took. All right, Legree, how'd you do on that par three? Now, I believe I got a five. You got a what? Now, I believe I got a five. I mean, I teed off and I might not have hit the green, but I had a few other shots and two putted. So, yeah, I got a five. All right, Legree, here we go again. You teed off, you hit your ball in the water. You took it out, you hit up, you sculled it right into the trap. It took you two to get out, and then you two-putted. Legree, that's a seven. Well, now, I guess you just have a better memory than I do. I certainly understand when you're having a bad day and you're doubling and tripling a lot during the day, it's easy to forget strokes. I mean, you're just so mentally fatigued, you probably are forgetting because you've just had enough. So the next time you get a seven on any hole and somebody asks you what your score is, just proudly tell them, that is the best seven I've ever scored. And the last of the topics of things that just upset other golfers are 
other golfers that amend the rules of golf in the middle of a round. I think it's customary in many places that I go play where when you go to tee off, everybody allows a breakfast ball or a mulligan, which means if the first shot's bad, go ahead, take another one, and then you could play the best of the two. It's just, we're, look, we're starting this thing off. It's hard enough as it is. But let's not spend the next five hours worrying about the first shot. But here's the thing also about mulligans. Everybody's got to agree that's how you're playing it. And most people do. Every once in a while, I'll find a purist who says, that's not how the pros play or that's not the rules of golf. And I'll be like, okay, that's how we play it. But that goes for a lot of things as well, like putting. I mean, gimmies are a normal course of action when you're on the course. When you hit to a certain area and it's close enough, you give the person the next putt and you move on and it saves time. If everybody had a putt out every ball, it would take at least another 30 minutes. And I was behind a foursome a week ago up at Rivertown and there's nobody in front of these guys. And when these guys get to the green, it's like U.S. open conditions. After somebody putts, they're marking their ball. It could be inches away. And then he moves away and the next person hits and they're playing farthest away. Well, I don't know what the stakes were they were playing for, but I got to tell you, it unnerved us. Everybody in the foursome was like, well, you just put it out. And so when people establish their rules of how they're going to handle it, you got to talk about it up front, or at least when you get to the first green, okay, how are we going to play this? I think it really comes down to communication more than the rules of golf. I think if everybody's on the same page about how you're going to amend the rules, then you do it. A lot of guys to speed up the game don't play out of bound stakes. They play them like lateral hazards. So they just pull your ball out you know, two uh, club lanes from wherever it went out, and you play that with a one-stroke penalty, just like a lateral. The rules of golf would suggest you either have to go back to the tee box or you could pull your ball out from there and take a two-stroke penalty. But again, where people get pissed off is when golfers start amending the rules for themselves when it benefits them. It just drives some people nuts, particularly people that are rules, very rulesy. And I've played with some rulesy guys, and that's okay. Just tell me what the rules are that you want to play with. And if you want to play with the book of rules, then we'll do that. Because it's very rare that you're going to have an outlier situation that you really don't know what to do about. And the last pet peeve, I had to add another one, is it's really good to understand where people want you to stand when they're hitting the ball, whether they're driving the ball, whether they're in the fairway, or whether they're putting. I know for me, when I'm driving the ball, I am cursed with very um, acute peripheral vision. I could see everything that's going on way to my right. Sometimes when I take my club back, I'm actually looking at my hands to make sure that I'm taking it back the right way. And once I do that, I've actually taken my eye off the ball and I could see everything to my right. Well, if anybody's standing behind me, that's what I'm thinking about is what are they doing? Are they moving their club? Are they swinging a club yeah, because they just hit a shitty drive or they're getting ready to drive? Anyway, it's just something you talk to people about. And I feel like crap when I have to tell people to move when I'm hitting the ball because I played with somebody who did that for years. And I thought that's a little selfish. 
until I had to start doing it. So just agree with everybody. What are the rules? Where do you want people to stand? And you could have a great round of golf. Now, what's going on in front of you in the foursome? Uh, God help you. You've been listening to Tales from the First Tee. I'm your host, Rich Easton, recording from beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. Talk to you soon. Thank you.